Psychology in Seattle. So, Bob, I have a email from a listener here who is asking us how what we think about a ethical complaint that they're waging against their own therapist mm-hmm. or a previous therapist. Oh, yeah. And she is she has a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions about this past therapist. Yeah, of course. I, I thought we would go kind of line by line and and comment on what we think in terms of did this person's past therapist violate the law or ethics or HIPAA or whatever. What do you say, Bob? No, let's talk it over. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, a professor, and someone who at least tries to avoid ethical violations. Who are you, Bob? I, I don't. <laughs> uh, I'm a therapist in practice in Seattle. You and I have been friends for 25 years from graduate school way back when. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I recently went to Tula's. Oh, Tula's. We used to go to Tula's. Back, oh, I played the card at Tula's. Back in the day. So this is an email from patron Carrie from Minnesota. She consented to, she actually really wanted us to read all of this and and say her name. So patron Carrie from Minnesota. Uh, she says that she started therapy a while back, a few years ago, to work on issues with her mom and grief over recent losses. So pretty common presenting problems. She found a good therapist and she quickly became attached to her, very attached. Hmm. And she really, really, really liked this therapist. She felt understood for the very first time. They had a very ma- maternal daughter relationship. This this therapist was older than her hmm. and she just felt very warm and it just felt like a authentic relationship to her. Yeah. She described it. Great. After two months, she says that her sister came into two sessions to work on their communication and their relationships. So I, I don't know the details on that, but the client, Carrie, must have said, uh, you know, I want to work on my relationship with my sister. And the, the therapist must have said, well, why don't you bring in the your sister? And um, now my cat suddenly wants to do something. Um, Let's maybe, bring in your cat. Yeah. So they just had those two sessions with the sister. And then after six months, the Carrie, the client, she arrives to therapy and she finds that her sister and her sister's boyfriend are walking out of her therapist's office. Oh. And here's her email. She says, I rushed into my therapist's office and asked, did you see my sister and her boyfriend? At first, she acted like she had no clue what I was talking about. Then I said, I just saw them walking out. I know they were in here. So she shut the door and we talked about it. My therapist told my sister to make sure it was okay with me that they were seeing the same therapist. She said she followed up with my sister in another session and that my sister had confirmed she had talked with me and that I said it was okay, but that never happened. It was all behind my back. I was furious about the situation, so I canceled my next session. Um, a side note here, my therapist never documented anything about this scenario in my records for that session. It was as if it never happened. Mm. Bob, was this wrong? Bob? I'm asking you. Oh, was it wrong to not document it? Or w- yeah. Which, which part? Uh, any part of it. Is there an ethical mm. violation? Is there a legal violation? 
Well, you know, you're probably going to know more about this than me, but I don't know that there's an ethical violation to not documenting. It depends. You're you're not going to necessarily. Well, uh, uh, it definitely doesn't help, right? Um, yeah. Would you if it was solely just on documentation? No. Well, the whole scenario should be documented mm-hmm. because it's one of those things that needs to be documented in terms yeah. of like, you know, the sister approached me, the sister of my client approached me and asked and tried to hire me as her therapist. Hmm. And there needs to be somewhere in the record that indicates that you thought about it and informed everyone about the pros and the cons to that sort of yeah. thing. So the fact that it's not in the notes isn't, I, I'm guessing, necessarily a violation, but it definitely doesn't help your case. It definitely doesn't look good if you don't document it. So it doesn't help the case of the therapist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If there's a complaint, which, right, right. which, which the client is, is waging. Right. But is there anything else wrong with that scenario where uh, that she described that you can detect? Well, I can think of two things. One is you're wearing two hats here. There's the potential that it's hard to be the therapist that your original client needs you to be if you're the therapist of the sister because of what might arise in in a session. Like what? Like, for instance, if if they're talking in session with the sister, the sister and the boyfriend are in session and, and the, the original client comes up, it's... It's it's potentially splitting one's brain to try to be the therapist that the sister needs me to be in this moment and still be the therapist that my my client, my original client needs me to be. In other words, like this, I can't wear both hats at the same time. Now, would it be a dilemma? I don't know. If it's couple counseling, probably not. I mean, the risk is probably pretty minimal, but I I, I would not have ventured into this relationship because for that reason, I sort of, this has come up for me occasionally where people have friends who, you know, they like me and so they want to refer their friend to me. And I usually say to them, look, my first loyalty is to you. And I need to be able to be sure that I can be the therapist you need me to be. And so I don't think this is going to work because of the potential risks. So I usually, you know, suggest somebody else or, you know, refer, refer somebody else. Because of that possibility, is it likely? I don't know. How it can't be known if it's likely, but it just seems like it's just cleaner. If I was the only therapist on the planet, I might think about it different. But there's lots of good counselors out there, so I, I don't see the reason. I don't see. I'm not that great that I need to, you know, take a case just because somebody wants to work with me. Yeah, I agree. And to also provide an example, yeah. say the the client Carrie has a conflict with her sister right. uh, and wants to talk about that or a problem or is really hurt by her sister and knows that her beloved therapist is also taking care of her sister. Right. That could, for some people, be challenging. Yeah, yeah. So the issue here is that whenever uh, us as therapists are working with clients, we have to assess people's sensitivity to this. So that's a major question mark whenever we're making choices like this. So right. you're, you're seeing a client as yeah. a therapist 
And then your client, your client's friend or your client's, anyone connected to your client wants to hire you or your client refers you in the example that you gave. Right. That the thing you have to think about is how dependent is this client on me? How sensitive is this client to their dependency on me? Mm -hmm. How sensitive are they to question marks of loyalty, question marks of how much I care? Yeah. If, because many clients don't really have those question marks. Yeah. They, they, have a, they have minor transference, but it's not, it's not major. Uh, if you have significant relational traumas that result in things like narcissism or borderline or histrionic or schizoid or whatever, passive aggressive, dependent, um, you know, these kinds of personality disorders, it is likely that you as a client are going to be extremely sensitive to the relationship status with your therapist. And as a therapist, you should know that. You should at least know that notion, right? Yeah. And you should be assessing your clients thus, thusly. You yeah. can't just... So if someone comes in and, and after a while you're just, you assess this person as having a relatively secure attachment and they don't seem to be that sensitive to how, you know, how you see them... Um, then, you know, feel free to play a little loose with that, that question. Uh, but with this client, as we go through this, it's clear to me that Carrie has relational traumas and is extremely sensitive. You know, we've used the metaphor before about you're starving and uh, you're in a, in a desert with no food and water. And in the distance, you see an oasis and you're crawling over there. And for the first time in your life, you're, you're given this little bit of water and a little bit of food. And it's the crappiest muddy water and it's the crappiest little cracker of a food. But boy, does it taste good. Sure. And to some people, they say, well, even though this is all I can get in life, I need this. Because if I don't get this, it's just a desert out there. I can't get anything out there. And so... If someone else comes along, going on this metaphor, if your sister comes along and crawls out of the wilderness and goes to your tiny little muddy uh, puddle and starts to grab the little crumbs that you have available to you, you're going to be upset about that. You're going to be like, wait a second, that's my little shitty oasis, my, my little respite in the, in the storm, uh, to mix my metaphors, I need you to go away. Uh, it makes sense when you're desperate, you're, you're, you're going to get competitive. You're going to get sensitive to, even if there's enough muddy water to go around, you're at least going to have a question about, well, what if my sister drinks up all the muddy water, <laughs> especially if you've had a history of your sister drinking up all the muddy water, or at least that's the way you perceive life. Yeah. So when you have your therapist and, and this is the way I conceive of, of Carrie's situation, she for the first time in her life in a long string of being abandoned and rejected and betrayed, finally had a relationship with someone that felt good to her, that felt right, that felt the way that she deserved to be treated. And then behind her back, the way she described it, she discovers that her sister is working with her therapist and her therapist never told her. Yeah, That's the key is like the therapist should have talked yeah to her client first. Yeah. You 
so so what I surmised happened was the sister came into therapy a couple times and liked the therapist. And then the sister called the therapist or emailed the therapist directly yeah. afterwards and said, I'd like to hire you, you know, to, I want to bring my boyfriend in. I want to do couples therapy with you. And then the therapist was like, um, okay, I want you to ask your sister if that's okay. Mm. Um, that is silly. The, the first thing you should do and this is protocol. This isn't unknown to people. This isn't a strange procedure. The first thing you do is, well, I'm going to have to talk with your sister about that first. So yeah. let me get back to you. And there's not a confidentiality violation because you do not have a second client at this point. Right. Yeah. So then you go to your, um, right, that's an important distinction. So you go to your client and you say, so your sister contacted me and yeah. wanted to hire me as her couples therapist. How do you feel about that? Cause yeah. I want to make sure that you're okay with it. Cause I'm, as you said, I'm loyal to you. Yeah. Just because your sister calls me and wants to hire me doesn't mean I'm suddenly loyal to your sister. I'm loyal to you first. And so I want to know how you feel. Sure. And if the, and a lot of times, even if clients are sensitive, they'll be like, well, okay. You know, yeah. be, because you ask them first, that's the key. Yeah. Uh, it 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 i guess a, an analogy if we i was to take it back to like high school or something is say you date someone and you're madly in love with this person and then they break up with you or there's some kind of breakup situation sure. and you're sad about it whatever but you know it ended and it's over and then you find out uh 6 months later that your best friend is dating your ex girlfriend oh yeah and you're like, what? So what's happening right now? It just feels hurtful. Like, you know, I'm, I don't possess my ex-girlfriend. I, I, you know, anyone is, people are free to date whoever they want to date. But why didn't my friend come to me and say, I'm thinking about asking out your ex-girlfriend. Um, how do you feel about that? Because as my friend, I'm loyal to you first. And if you if you veto it, I'm not going to do it. Well, maybe. Or the friend might say, I just want to be sensitive to you and let you know that there's this thing I'm going to pursue. Because I'm loyal to because you. Because I'm loyal to you. And I care. I, and I care. And I'm, I might still pursue it, but but I'm not asking for permission or, you know. But, but, it, but it, the demonstration of sensitivity to the person's feelings just makes sense. It's just kind of a decent thing to do. Right. Yeah. So... Although that isn't necessarily a straightforward ethical violation, right? Because if you can demonstrate that you competently discussed the, because um, it's a dual relationship, is what it is. Right. It's a multiple relationship. Yeah, you're you're not with your with Carrie with the original client. Um, you're both her therapist and you're also her sister's therapist. Right, and although that. To people outside the industry, that might sound funny. That's actually what we call a dual relationship or a multiple relationship in the direction, in the same category as if you were also your client's, uh, you know, landscaper or something. Right. It's a, it's a, you have two relationships yeah. with, with, with actually two different clients. Right. Um, so, but the ethical violation, uh, so what ethical code or principle is this potentially violating? Well, it's potentially violating the, yeah, the dual keeping things straightforward and clear and simple and right. direct. I don't know what you call it in the codes, but... Well, it used to be called dual relationship or avoiding dual relationships. And 
when possible, but they call it multiple relationships because dual implies there's only two. Because sometimes there's like three be, or four. More. Uh, the other principle is uh, do no harm. So the therapist could have predicted that this would have harmed the client and harmed the treatment. And so um, the therapist didn't consider that. And it could have, again, it could have been easily avoided. Yeah. Um, so some tips on this for a therapist is uh, one, never ask your client to do your own work. The therapist should have talked directly to the client herself. Never ask, you know, she asked her this, the sister to talk to her sister to see if it's okay if she engage in therapy, like mm -hmm. that's just don't, don't ask people to do your work. Um, and I see people do this sometimes. They'll be like, well, you know, I asked my, and cause another situation like this is you're working with a couple and then the wife contacts you like a year later and says she wants to start individual therapy with you. And you're like, okay, well, can you ask your husband if that's okay? And don't do that. Like it's your client. Yeah. You reach out. One, because it's just like professional. The other thing is, it's like, how can you believe? You don't necessarily know. How can you trust that? And it's so easy. Just email yeah. them, call it, whatever right. whatever way you normally communicate. Just be like, so your wife contacted me and right. wants to hire me individually. Here are the pros and cons. How do you feel about that? Blah, right. blah. Number two is, again, you want to do it before. Number three is uh, the therapist should have known that the client would be sensitive to this sort of thing, given their issues. Number four, all this should have been discussed with a supervisor or a cons consultant, by the way, and there's no documentation of that. So, um, And number five is it all should have been documented. And for these reasons not being followed, uh, it's a wide open door to lit uh, complaints, litigation. Um, so as we go, so there's more to this story, but as, as we go through it, it becomes, uh, what I find is that bad behavior it doesn't isn't doesn't happen in isolation that uh, when oh. when you see it something like this that's concerning there are multiple problems once you actually start looking at the general practice of an individual yeah um, and we definitely see that so more to the story so she talked to her sister carrie the client she goes to her sister her sister said uh, that she, they, they had some kind of argument, but mm -hmm. it, it didn't go that badly. Her sister said that she figured out that her therapist actually lived near her house. And she actually saw the therapist sometimes in the, in their neighborhood. And you mean like bumped into him on the street or something? Not bumped, but would see her oh, actually okay. outside of her house. Got it. And her, so Carrie's sister is like, yeah, sometimes I see our therapist outside her house. So then uh, Carrie, go. she's so upset, she has a session to terminate. So she has a final session. Wow. She goes to the therapist and has this final session. She was very angry, and she expressed that anger. And there was conflict in the session between Carrie and the therapist. And she said that her therapist was defensive. Yeah. The, the therapist said that she had cleared it with her supervisor, the dual relationship. Uh-huh. And she told, Carrie told the therapist that her sister lives near her and sees her sometimes. She sort of dropped that in there. So I just want you to know that yeah. my sister sees you sometimes. And uh, then she writes in her email, my therapist said she didn't know that my sister lived near her mm -hmm. and said that this bothered her and her privacy. Oh. Uh, she even said, your sister could see me outside without makeup on. <laughs> yeah, well. She said she would have to drop my sister as a client oh. and that she, quote unquote, blew it with, with me. 
She would simply... The therapist said that the therapist blew it with Carrie? Yeah. Got it. She would simply write a letter saying that they were neighbors and refer her to another therapist. Mm. So she would simply write a letter to my sister saying they were neighbors and that she would refer my sister to a different therapist. So instead of quitting with her, I forgave her and decided to continue therapy. Oh. But the thought of her being able to drop someone as a client without even saying goodbye made me more anxious about the possibility of her leaving me at some point. And I was so, because I was so deeply attached to her. It also created more problems between my sister and me because now my sister was mad at me. Bob, what do you think about this? Um, Wow. Where to begin? (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's, it's, I, 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 the first thing that came into my mind is my old supervisor, David Taylor, who lived on Bainbridge Island, which is a fairly small community, right? Yeah. And he worked over there and he bumped into his clients all the time. And one time he said to me, you know, I'm out in the yard and I'm not wearing a shirt because it's a hot day and I'm mowing the lawn, right? And my clients, you know, they'll bike by or drive by or walk by or whatever. And, you know, they see me and it's like, I don't like that. But David Taylor was a pretty cool cat. So he would just say, you know, it's just part of the deal when you live in a small community that you're going to have, you know, the potential for these kinds of contacts. You know, you see somebody at the pharmacy or whatever, and they ask you a question that maybe you can't comment on because, you know, you're at the pharmacy. And, um, um, you know, it's just like part of the nature of living in a small town. Totally. When there's just only so many counselors to go around. One of the things I really like about him is he would just put the cards on the table and be pretty straightforward not get defensive and he probably wouldn't have done something like write a letter to terminate with somebody i i think look the, everything i'm saying is based on only what we're reading in this email there's a whole other side we don't see it i'm not defending anybody but based on what's being said here i think it's kind of cold 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 to write a letter to somebody and say i can't be your counselor because you might see me right it's just a little that's pretty that's pretty my sensitivity does not extend that far. Well, it's bizarre. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, imagine, uh, just imagine this as a, as a client like yourself. Yeah. That one day out of the blue, you get this uh, letter, snail mail. Oh, wow. And it says, because you live near me yeah. and might see me. Right. I'm terminating with you. Yeah. I don't, I don't really see the problem with it myself. But it's bizarre. It is bizarre. Now, what I imagine that the therapist, again, I agree with you, we don't have the therapist side of the story, but again, this is not the end of the story. Okay. So, so All it's right. like, well, geez, this is just un- yeah. unfolding. But uh, because, as I, you know, stupid is as stupid does, I guess, is the phrase that comes to mind. It's like y- you have, or oh, right. bad standard of practice uh, begets other bad standard of practice or something. Yeah, right. Um, you know, if you lack the fundamental understanding of the frame of therapy, yeah. then it you're going to have a lot of problems, you yeah. know. So, uh, yeah, the, the thing that – now, if the therapist is like, oh, you know what? Because I'm guessing this is what ran through her mind was, yeesh, I made a mistake here by working with Carrie's sister. Clearly, Carrie, my client – is really upset that I'm working with her sister. I should never have done that. Yeah. How do I get out of this? Right. I, I want I want my client to be safe and secure. I also want to avoid being sued. Of course. So what do I do here? Well, my you know, Carrie seems to want me to terminate with my sister. Yeah. So 
I'll do that. And what I'll do is I'll send a letter because that'll avoid the conflict. Yeah. And I'll just say, the reason is, is because you live in my neighborhood. Huh. You know, you like think it was a, um, a cop out, a cop out. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Of course. No, it's just your hit on it. But it stands to reason if this, if this is an accurate depiction. Right. Now, we don't even know what the therapist actually communicated with her sister no. because Carrie doesn't necessarily know that information. But, but it, again, when you look at, I get emails like this all the time. And the thing that I am realizing is that when a therapist starts to make mistakes, because they made the mistake, because their fundamental problem created the original mistake, when they try to correct their mistake, they actually make they make it worse. They, their fundamental problem contributes to their solution and warps it. Right. Yeah. Into more problems. Do, do you think that there's an ethical violation when she says to Carrie, I'm going to write a letter to your sister terminating? Yes. That's a total violation, ain't it? Because I assume... And and remember that it's not just her sister, but it's her boyfriend too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man. So both of those people, I assume, have not written releases of information. Well, we don't know. But we don't know. Probably not. But I assume. <laughs> why? Why would they? So, right. For the therapist to talk with Carrie about them. Yeah. So if she were following HIPAA and ethical codes, she would say to Carrie, actually... This is really weird, but I actually can't even acknowledge I'm seeing your sister, even though you may or may not have seen your sister walking out of my office. I don't have a release of information to discuss that. And if your sister said the same thing, even though that's kind of weird, I I actually can't talk about that. Yeah. Um, That happens to me all the time when I'm running the class. I'm running the class. Somebody calls in. They're sick that day, right? And um, they can't come to class, right? And they haven't specified whether or not I'm able to share any information. So occasionally um, when I can, I ask, what do you want me to tell the class? Right. But like, let's say they drop out, right? So they drop out and which is another kind of thing. I often say to my students, you know, it's kind of weird, but I'm not allowed to talk about this. And it doesn't mean that anything's problem. Everything's okay. And I still can't talk about this. And, you know, I know that it's really weird. It's weird for me too. And it is weird. It is weird. And, but yeah, it's just the rules, man. Right. It's like, okay, well, it's weird. It's And to me, one, obviously, it helps you to sleep at night because you're not worrying about oh, fuck yeah. being sued. But the other thing is it models to everyone how serious you take confidentiality. Yeah, right. Like, if I had a therapist do that for me, yeah. I'd be like, oh, thank you. Although yeah. this is bothering me that we're running into this barrier, I guess I feel more secure right. in you because by implication, you're also protective of my information right if i'm carrie am i gonna think that the sister is gonna call her up and they're gonna talk about carrie right you know like or if the therapist runs into carrie's you know uncle or you know who knows who knows it 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 is a again it's a confidentiality issue it's a hipaa issue and it's also hipaa meaning the federal law and it's also a do no harm issue in yeah. that it sends the message to all your clients that you don't care or know about confidentiality. Right. It undermines a person's faith in both the therapist and perhaps the profession. Yeah. So let's take a break and talk more about this train wreck. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We're back from the break. 
If you haven't already become a patron, do so now. Go to patreon.com. We're also increasing our tiers on Patreon on June 1, 2019. So if you want to get the benefits of the tiers, sign up before June 1 because all the prices are going to increase. Uh, Also, email me. I'm starting a new thing where I'm only going to... I'm getting too many messages from too many places. We get you got Twitter, you oh. got we started a Discord. You might not even know what Discord is. I don't know what that is. Uh, we have Instagram. We I have actually a couple Facebook pages. Uh, we have uh, obviously email. We have the website. We have Patreon. You can. So the thing is, is uh, and for simplicity's sake and my time's sake, I'm going to say I'm only going to respond to you if you email me. Or you go to our website and email me through the contact because that actually goes to my email. So yeah. if you go to the website, use the contact us page or you email me directly at contact at com. That's the only place that I'm going to respond because I just want it that way. It's Plus, just too hard to track yeah, two different ways to. Right. Yeah. And some of these things are only like Instagram is only on the phone and I can't respond on the phone. Oh. It's hard to type. Because right. the responses are sometimes like a few paragraphs, sure. and I'm not going to type that out on my phone. Some no. people can do that. I can't. Uh, so let's go on here. All right. Um, so more to the story here. Yeah. Uh, her, her email, she says, my therapist self-disclosed a lot about her own life while we worked together, oh. which made me feel close to her. But in retrospect, she blurred the boundaries of our professional relationship by sharing too much, oh. like a story about watching her grandkids, how, uh, like a story about watching her grandkids, how her husband got pulled over for speeding and her son calling her about something he was distressed about. Hmm. Often they would just be small snippets of information, but over time it really added up. I knew her family members' names, their diagnoses, and some major events in their, her past, as well as things in her current life. Hmm. She told me I was one of her favorite clients. Hmm. She told me that she had only two or three that she wouldn't mind seeing forever, and I was one of them. Oh. She told me that if she had a daughter, she would want her to be like me. Hmm. Bob, what do you think about that? Well, I'm sure it's all heartfelt. Yeah. You know? um, uh, and um, uh, for some reason, my spider sense is tingling. Yeah, yeah. I feel a little nervous because I'm thinking about well, what's the clinical benefit to the client to know these things? Right. It's wonderful to self-disclose effectively. Yeah. Uh, so the the long and the short of it to me is when I hear this, I don't hear any ethical violations. No. It's a style, and you're taking a risk, but yeah. it's not like a huge clinical risk. It it absolutely can be justified clinically yeah. to self-disclose, even if it can be a quite elaborate things, yeah. like to talk about, well, my dad died of cancer and this is what I went through and I cried and sure. and it kind of led to my divorce and, you know, it was hard. From, yeah. you know, that's a lot of information that you might not even tell some acquaintances. Yeah. To, so that's a lot of information to tell your clients. But you can absolutely clinically justify those kinds of disclosures. I don't tend to say those kinds of disclosures. So when you hear this, I don't know your style. I feel like you can be pretty self-disclosing. Do you think 
your clients might say s- similar things about you, like, yeah, I know this about him, I know that. and Yeah, you know, I think it's possible that they would or have. Yeah. And one of the things that I've been doing probably for the last several months is really considering carefully what I say about myself and what's the what is my reason for doing it? What's the benefit to the client that I'm figuring? Because I'm totally, you know, I, I always say to my people, look, if you ask me a personal question, I'm probably going to answer it. You know, I don't have too many corners of my life that I hold that sacred. I yeah. don't know if that's the right way to put it, but I'm not that private. It's just the way to put it. Yeah. You know, but you know, like I want to be clear about what my role here is and what my function is. And it's to, you know, help this person who sought me out with whatever it is they sought me out for and to be clear about, you know, why I'm saying what I'm saying. Yeah. Lately, a lot of my self-disclosures are just about what's happening in the moment. Like right now I feel very tenderly towards you. I feel sad too. Um, and, and that sort of thing. And the other thing I do is like, you know, I, I try to not get defensive. Somebody says, look, I don't like blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, I get it. I can see why you wouldn't, you know, try to validate, even though in in my heart at times I I do feel defensive. So, you know, meaning you won't self-disclose your self-defensiveness. I generally not. Okay. I, I occasionally, but generally not because I don't know that it's, it's all that useful. Yeah. Right. So good. And I think knowing your vibe, I have an idea of the sort of vibe you are as a therapist. And I suspect that it really works for people that you're very attentive and attuned and very in the moment and that you're authentic. And so that means you might say like, yeah, me and me and my wife have had the same, the same conflict. Oh yeah. I have said such things. And, uh, I'm, I've been there, Yeah, but you're not going to go, let me talk for the next 15 minutes about it. You know, it's just these little drop in statements, little flybys. And for your style and given how differentiated you are about because you're not busted up about it. You're just like, you're very sure you're, you you come across as very confident as you, as you drop in those kinds of Mm -hmm. things. I don't get the sense like you're like, oh, shit, did I, what did I just say? Like, you've worked it out. You've been doing this for over 20 years. And my suspicion is from the beginning, you were probably kind of this way. You've probably become more self-disclosing. I have. But I think in the, in the very beginning, you were already kind of hard in your sleeve kind of a guy. Yeah. Um, even, in, even at parties or something, we would be talking to people and you would just, you know, be very real, I yeah. guess. And so... Uh, all that is fine. So when we look at what Carrie's talking about with her therapist, I just hear that style. Now, your spidey sense went up about like, she told me that she only had two or three clients that she wouldn't mind seeing forever. And I was one of them. The ethical violation that potentially there is what if that information got out to her other clients? Yeah. And they're like, I'm pretty sure I'm not in that category mm-hmm. and that really hurts my feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to say stuff like that. It'd be like saying you're my favorite child. Right. Right. It's like, you can think it and some parents do, yeah, but you can't say it even to the child in question because they could repeat it, which would hurt other people's feelings. So just kind of, it's fine it's to have that sense of care. But don't say it out loud yeah. to, to, to people that might get, let it go out there. And I've seen people do this. Again, this is an example of that, of that lack of the frame. You know? you know, the thing I don't like about that comment, it's just occurring to me, is I could see you for, I could, I could imagine seeing you forever. 
it's like a it's like a Im- invitation into dependency. And it's a message of don't terminate with me. Yeah. Because I have something in the in the game here. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that there's nothing wrong with saying someone is one of your favorite clients. Sure. Uh especially if it's true. Um some people really want that to be true and there's no I you know, if that's your style. I've said that before. Sure. I, I wouldn't I've never volunteered it. It's usually or always been in the context where a client will just straight up ask me like some at some point some clients will just straight up ask me, so what do you think about me personally, oh, sure. like as a client? Yeah. Like where do you, what do you think about I'm just kind of curious. It's actually an important question. It is. And a question that a lot of clients will have in yeah. their mind, and I want to reward that vulnerability um by answering it honestly, which yeah. um is, you know, universally, especially with the clients I've had in the last number of years, uh, is universally positive. Yeah. So um, I can be honest and have that be a bonding moment. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you know, it. there's nothing wrong with wanting approval from other people. No. We tend to, as Americans, try to avoid that, try to say we are independent. Oh, yeah, I don't care for that attitude. Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Do you know the full uh, phrase? No, I don't. So this could be wrong. So, internet, forgive me. <laughs> the original um, uh, phrase and meaning of that was that it was the opposite of what we mean by it today, which is you actually can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Right. Like, if you... If you pull your bootstraps, right. you don't you don't go in the air. Sure, someone else has to pull you up by your bootstraps. Right. So, but it, so it used to be this longer phrase or something that, yeah. uh, like the proof in the pudding is in the tasting. Yeah, um, is another thing that also got bastardized yeah. and now yeah. means the opposite. Right. Like the the proof in the pudding is in the tasting. It's not in the pudding. Yeah. But now we say the proof's in the pudding. Right. It kind of means the same thing, but but the bootstrap thing is we mean it to mean like you're independent, right? But the original meaning I think was you, there, you it's you know it's uh, it's folly to think that, that you can that do you things can do on that. your on your own, right? 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 Anyway, so she writes um, more here. I I also wrote her letters, which she kept, but those are not documented in the notes I received. So she eventually got the file from her. And she wrote her letters, uh, which the therapist kept, but those are not documented in the notes I received. Some were because they mention see the attached, but others that they are very helpful to my case and not mentioned. So my question is, are those part of my file and does she have the right to not mention them? Bob, what do you think? I don't know. I do. Good. But, uh, the I, ins- I, I could say what I do, <laughs> yeah. which is, it's just, I just keep that stuff in the record. Good. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So it is clear that when a client sends you anything, it is part of the client file. Yeah. And it actually gets extended, and I've heard this from ethics experts, they give the following example. If a, cl- a client gave this ethics expert a gun to hold because he was suicidal, he's like, I, I brought my gun with me, my handgun, and I need you to hold on to it because if, if I walk out of this office, yeah. I, I might kill myself. Right. So the therapist didn't want to touch the gun 
but said, uh, Oak was like, well, all things sort of balanced here. I, yeah, I'll take the gun. Sure. And she just physically put it in the file cabinet in the file. <laughs> cool. That's it's, a lumpy file. Yeah. But it was part of the file, right? It's a, it's a thing the client gave her. So if a client draws you a picture, I mean, if a, if a five-year-old gives you a drawing, yeah. that is now part of the file. Now, you can give it back to them. Yeah. You could say, I'm going to put it up on the wall and not in the file. Um, but if a client emails you anything other than scheduling issues, uh, then, and even technically scheduling issues are supposed to go into the file, but I can't imagine being complained against because of that. But, mm. but if there's a letter, for sure, it goes in the client file. It's clear. Uh, there's no ambiguity there. There's nothing in the law or in the ethical codes that say like, well, some things go in the file and some things don't. You know, it's like, no, it, it, especially a letter from the client yeah. goes in the file. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Um, now, as I said, you can give it back. So sometimes people will give me like a report or something, a, a big one, yeah. like a psychological report or a, some kind of thing. And yeah. I'm just like, I don't want to physically have this in my file. Yeah. And so I'll give it back to them and I'll say like, I'll just say that. I'll say, so if you give me this, I actually have to keep it forever. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I actually keep all my client records forever. I don't, I don't burn them after seven years, seven yet. years. Right. That's the rule. Yeah. So it's some, yes. I can't remember the exact, I think it's seven cut off, but I will keep it forever. And so I actually say, you know what, I'm going to let you hold on to this. Or if you have a PDF, like feel free to send that to me, but uh, I, I'm actually not going to hold on to this. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so let's go on here. Okay. In one session, she sighed and said, oh, what day is it Tuesday? Only three more days until the weekend. It made me feel like she didn't want to work. And I was her work. I sent her, an e- I sent her an email telling her how attached I was to her and that I was quitting because of this. She didn't respond that day or the next, and the silence was killing me. I emailed again, asking her to respond. Mm. Silence again. An hour later, I said, if you don't hear from me again, you, you know what you, you know, you did your best. If you don't hear from me again, you can know you did your very best. Bob, that, if you got that phrase after some upset emails, right. What would you think? Um, I think my client was really hurting and needing me to respond in some way, I probably would have already responded to the first ones because that's just, you know, I, that's how I roll, but I think it's also just good practice. Yeah. Um, I would definitely respond to that one thinking, you know, probably not, but at the outset, it's possible that this is like a, a veiled um, suicide kind of communication, you know, and I, you know, care and all, kind of want to be present for people and, you know, responsive because it's just good, you know. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, so going on here, she says, I didn't mean it as a suicidal threat. Yeah. But she called while I was at work that day and left me a voicemail saying she did receive my emails and that she would be calling the police if I did not respond in the next couple of minutes due to my veiled suicidal threat. Well, I did. I didn't hear her voicemail until 40 minutes later. So the police had already been called. And I had to call them back explaining I was not suicidal, that I was just emotional about leaving my therapist and missing her, but that I was at work and I was fine. Seeing my distress, my husband then emailed her 
from from his email address saying I wanted to see her again because I was not doing well. And rather than responding to my email, she responded instead to his email and said that that was a good idea. I was so mad. I didn't want my husband to email her, but he did anyway, and she responded to him. Is this an ethical and HIPAA violation, Bob? Ah, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess so. It's so muddy. It's just so muddy. Like, this is like one mistake after another. Right. Like I said, the... Like, in a normal circumstance, is anybody going to get their, you know, get upset about an email that comes in this way? No, probably not. But this is an inflamed situation. So, like, it seems to, you want to mind your... Your... P's and Q's. P's and Q's, dot your I's, cross your T's, and, and a lot of letters here, and just respond to the client directly. Right. So... It could be a HIPAA violation and an ethical violation due to the fact that I assume there's no release of information that the client, Carrie, had signed to probably not. allow the therapist to talk to her husband, I assume. Right. But honestly, the therapist could argue that she needed to break confidentiality in order to address the danger of your suicidal threat. So uh, it's possible that, um, you know, it's possible that she didn't know your conversation with the police which is actually likely. And so at her, so from her point of view, all she did was <clears throat> she gets this email that says what she believes is like, is that a suicidal threat? I don't know. And then she leaves you a voicemail, Carrie, you don't respond back. So she's actually maybe legitimately worried. Yeah. And then the next communication she gets is from your husband saying that you want to see her. And so yeah, I guess a smarter thing would be to reach out to you directly and yeah. say, so your husband reach out to me. Do you want to schedule something? Right. Uh, but instead, she, he was, she was like, yes, um, by all means. Because maybe the therapist is like, well, whatever gets me closer to my client because sure. I need to work with her on this. Uh, and I'm And there's legitimate justification. So HIPAA actually allows and ethical codes allow you to break confidentiality for safety reasons. Yeah, for safety. So, so I, you know, I, if I were to, if I was on the panel of judges looking at this, I would say this was not a HIPAA violation. But if the therapist and her lawyers were to make that argument, I would say that it's justified. And at the same time, a corner of your heart would think, this is just not good practice. Right. It's just a, it's just one mistake after another. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the main issue here, though, is that the way you were said you would respond, Bob, it, why would you do that? You know, why would you care to respond quickly to that kind of thing? Are you talking about the, her the initial the, emails or the one that the therapist took as a suicidal threat? I guess all of them. But but the initial emails, you know, she uh, sent her an email telling her how attached uh, I sent her an email telling yeah. her how attached I was to her and that I was quitting. Um, and she didn't respond that day or the next. And the silence was killing me. Uh. Why would you respond more quickly than this therapist did? Because, um, forgive me, Carrie, if I'm overstepping here. Your, your relational trauma and a sensitivity to that is it just makes sense to 
to be responsive. Like, like if you've hired me, you've entered into a relationship with me, I've entered into a relationship with you, and we know the playing field. It's like, okay, I'm here to be of help to you. And I, I got to tell you, though, the thing I do is I'm real clear about who I see and who I won't see. And if I don't think I can provide the level of care that's needed, then I pass on the case. So like I don't work before with, you start before I start. So I, I assess for um, like suicidality. I'm not in a position to provide the level of care that's needed. When I was single, that was different. But married, my life is such that I don't I'm not available in the way that I believe those folks deserve and need. And so I don't take those kind of cases. But 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 I've entered into the but if but if I've entered into a relationship and somebody gets suicidal, I don't just say, well, I'm sorry. But if you remember, uh, no, it's like. You sign on, you sign on. Right. So like this is the reality now and this is the nature of things and this is the response that needed. And it just seems like good practice in terms of Carrie's well-being and welfare to be more responsive. Right. And that's the key is that we're obviously detecting and carry relational traumas. She is exhibiting classic what we might call extreme preoccupied attachment style which is that she was inconsistently uh, treated as a child, mistreated, likely abandoned. And she needs the sort of therapy and deserves the sort of therapy that provides a secure long-term attachment. Yeah. And she also deserves and needs a venue with a safe person where she can actually express her anger Absolutely. and her disappointment and her hurt feelings. Yeah. And have a therapist that knows what they're doing be able to respond in a caring, responsive way, but yeah. also provide the frame of therapy. It's extremely important when working with people with extreme preoccupied attachment style to have a very clear understanding and approach to the frame of therapy. When I treat people with severe preoccupied attachment, I am, uh, I learned long ago that. I have to do two, two things that actually feel in different camps. On one hand, I have to be very present and very attuned mm -hmm. and very caring. And I have to, in a lot of ways, invest more of my soul into the relationship with the client. Mm -hmm. I, have to be, I have to be more vulnerable, not necessarily with my own self-disclosure, but I, I just have to be more uh, closer, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing I have to do is I have to be very buttoned up regarding my ethical codes and communicating about some rigid expectations. Like, for example, with you, Carrie, given what I see as sort of a pattern that you get into, which is something will trigger your traumas with your therapist, which is normal and actually is evidence that the relationship is working. And you have this feeling of just like, that hurt my feelings. I'm really upset at my therapist. And I want my therapist to know that I'm upset with her. This is all a great opportunity for a corrective experience. Oh, totally. With people with preoccupied attachment, I might spend every session apologizing for something. And I've done that before. Yeah. Every session, the client sits down and says, I can't believe what you did to me last week. Right. And then I spend half an hour apologizing sincerely and demonstrating to that client that I care and also providing some explanation of just like, well, this is why I did that. And also probably a curiosity about what's been injured. Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not one thing to say, Hey, you fucked up. Like, right. 
yeah, mea culpa, mea culpa is not sufficient by itself. Right. But that's where you start. That's where you start. <laughs> you know, you start by saying, uh, I'm so sorry that that happened. Yeah. Uh, I could see how you would feel that way. Right. And I'll try not to do that again. Yeah. Um, how do you, is that sufficient or whatever? You know, right. anyway. Or, or, and even, so tell me about what it's like for you. Right. My mistake. How has it impacted you? What's because right. there's a lot of meaning to be made. And actually, quite frankly, as we listen to this letter, one of the things I think about for Carrie, I know she's filing a complaint and all, but I wonder if it's um, in her interest to at some point take a look at what inside has been injured and to take it seriously. Right. To care for that, to pay attention to that, to have curiosity and uh, compassion for it and not just write a ticket to the therapist who screwed up. Right. Like, it's just not enough. And we'll get to the specifics on her. She hasn't actually officially complained. Okay. Um, but she, in you know, to the state or anything, right. but has to the organization that the therapist worked for and to the therapist, but which is, you know, probably good feedback for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, excellent. So when I have that approach, I know that it, I'm, as you say, in, I, I, there's a level of care that's kind of necessary. Yeah. And so if I get, a, especially if I, so anyway, so to, to carry, I assume that you, you didn't say any of this stuff and I'm diagnosing from afar. So who knows? I could be wrong about all this. Yeah, maybe. But the, it, you definitely follow a pattern of someone with severe preoccupied attachment issues. And so there, if I was treating you, I would understand that and 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 know that, mm -hmm. and would when when you emailed me about stuff like that, I would not take it personally because I know that that's the fact that you're emailing your therapist. You know, you email your therapist and say, um, you know, I don't know the exact sequence of events, but what the way it looks like is like your therapist one day sighs and says, oh, I can't wait for the weekend. And that really hurt your feelings. Yeah. And then after the session, a couple days later, you're, you're feeling that really hurt feeling. And you're, you're feeling like my therapist doesn't really care about me. And that all that relational trauma is being triggered right. by something that the therapist might not have actually, they might not have actually meant it that way. No. They, they might not have actually meant it. I don't like you as a client. Right. They, they might've just been, looking forward to the weekend, right. you know, and that's not unusual for a therapist to or think anybody. And, yeah. So, um, so, but it's okay to be hurt by that. It's sure. not, not strange. And it's okay for you to express that. And yeah. your reaction was to send her an email saying that you were very attached to her and that you were very hurt by this and that you were quitting therapy. Right. That's a very severe response yeah. that I don't think Carrie, you actually wanted to do. I think you, that was your uh, message to your therapist to communicate how upset you were. Right. I don't think it was likely that you actually wanted to quit in that moment, but that's what you said. And a competent therapist who treats preoccupied attachment understands, Oh, they don't actually want to quit. If they wanted to quit, they would just stop coming. And they've, and my client has said this before and that must mean that my client must be particularly hurt by something yeah. and particularly triggered by something. And right. so I need to attend to that instead of the surface level. Also, I need to not take it personally, like I'm being personally rejected. Now, I have no idea what the therapist went through. Sure. You know, who we just 
you know, have zero clue as to what really happened, you know, from the other side of things. Right. But I suspect what happened was the the therapist received that email and had received a number of other emails and was like, oh, she's quitting therapy again. Uh, fine. You know, like, okay, you're quitting. Great. It's over now. Like, it, this is very stressful for me as a therapist. Mm -hmm. And you're quitting. Great. And instead of looking at it like a clinical issue, yeah. taking it more at face value, which it wasn't probably meant to be at face value. Yeah. Um, does that make sense to you, Bob? Yeah, it makes sense. So, so then the therapist is like, okay, fine. Um, you're quitting. Great. I, I guess I'm not going to respond because, or at least I'm not going to respond quickly because what's the point? Now, right. when you heard this, Bob, you're just like, oh, well, I would have responded that really quickly because yeah, okay. I care and yeah. I, you know, I understand the landscape here. My client right. has been triggered somehow right. and, and might have a legitimate hurt and disappointment in me. And that's fine. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, but the therapist didn't. That totally escalated things. Escalated things. We might even think of it as a passive aggression from the therapist to the client of just like, I'm going to passively not respond to you as a message to you that I don't like the way you're treating me or Could something. Could be. Who knows? But the, the impact on the client is different from the therapist intention or, well, we actually don't know the therapist intention. The impact is still the impact. Right. Which is that the client feels more and more yeah, hurt. More hurt. More, more and more abandoned. Right. And then, and then she drops in this line of, you know, if, if you don't hear from me again, you can know that you did your very best. Now, in this instance, the therapist actually responded. You said you would have like immediately contacted and she did. She actually immediately called the client, which I thought was actually a good behavior. Yeah. And, and then said, I'm going to have to call the police, which I actually kind of agree with. Oh, you do? I, I didn't get that. I mean, better safe than sorry. Well, I guess. Yeah. I mean, well, we don't know the history. Right. Maybe there's a history of Carrie, you know, um, having suicidal impulses or, you know, thoughts or, you know, maybe this is sort of part of the uh, therapist uh, picture of her, you know? Yeah. But just face value, that would have got me calling, but not calling the cops. But it's not, a, it doesn't, there's not, a, it's not like the cops roll up and shoot you. You know, the cops would, the cops <laughs> would just show up, uh, I guess, depending on your race, right? Uh, the, the cops would show up and would assess and pretty quickly, oh, okay, well, she's not suicidal. So, so it could it, be really embarrassing though. It would work. be. And, but to me, I, I would much rather have therapists have an itchy trigger finger on this than well, the opposite, which is more likely. The, the taking a laissez faire attitude about it? No, absolutely not. Right. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing. No, I'm not. But I, but, but I'm just like, well, we don't know everything that right. played into that decision. And I, I don't think that that's a bad choice. I just think it's like what should have been done is what you said is she yeah. should have responded uh, earlier. Just sooner. Yeah. And actually what happens is um, um, crisis behavior gets reinforced. Right. Crisis generating behavior gets reinforced. So yeah. it actually, you know, from a clinical standpoint, it's reinforcing um, a set of behavior that, is not good for Carrie. Right. Right. And so, so one wants to be conscientious about such things and, you know, like, um, respond, uh, proactively, right. not reactively, not like, yeah. I mean, you know, what am I reinforcing here by re returning this call now? Exactly. The whole thing is to be proactive yeah. and it should have been dealt with. And we don't know, maybe it was, but it doesn't sound like it was. 
it should have been dealt with and framed early. Like if I, the first time a preoccupied person would send me that letter of just like, well, I'm quitting. Yeah. Um, Because she definitely did that when she found out that her sister was working with her. Right. I would have immediately gone into or set it on the agenda of just like, we have to establish a language around uh, helping my client understand that their impulse to quit with me is probably just evidence that they're triggered. Now, if they want to quit with me, that's fine. Obviously, they should if they don't want to work with me anymore. But we need to talk about how that is a barometer for how hurt they are. That could be important learning. That's 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 a, I would just, you know, without, you know, knowing exactly the client and everything, I'll just, I'll just say that, you know, at a certain point, once things calm down, I just, I just, I'll just say, so I just want to get back to what happened last month where yeah. you sent me that letter that you wanted to quit from the sound of it. It sounds like you didn't actually really want to quit, but because you were also saying that you really liked working with me and everything like that. Right. So my interpretation of that is that you must have been really, really hurt in that moment. Yeah. Is that true? You know, and we talk about it and yeah, I was really hurt. Well, so let's just add that to the list of signs that you're really hurt yeah. and that you really want to communicate to me how hurt you are and that message received, you know, I'll, I'll, that's how I'm receiving it. Right. Uh, and so unless I really hear a consistent message that you want to quit with me, I'm just going to assume when you say that, that what you're really communicating with me is I must have really, really hurt you and right. you must be really, really suffering right now. So, you know, that kind of discussion um, needs to be had. <laughs> I, would, I would go even further. I might say, do you want to be able to tell me about your hurt in a direct way? Do you want to? Right. So that's the implication of right. I'm open. Yeah. I'm okay yeah. with it, you telling me how hurt you are. Yeah, because it's, maybe it's a safe way to let somebody know or safer way to let somebody know that I'm in pain. And it might be in my interest to learn how to say, you know what? I'm really in pain here. Right. That's a very vulnerable thing to reveal to somebody. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's more. There's more. They had a final session. Wow. She said, so this is after the police were the called. Police. Yeah. They had a final session. She, Carrie said it was very awkward. Mm. The therapist was reportedly cold and standoffish. Yeah. Um, Carrie asked for her records. And uh, she says in her email here, she didn't really want to read me my records because she thought it would be too much for me to take in at once. Mm. She also said that I was, quote unquote, beyond her skill set. Mm. So there's that phrase. Yeah. Um, and so just to chime in on that, it really bothers me when therapists will do that. Yeah. It's like both of these things. One is, is like if a client asks for their file. It's their file. It's their fucking file. Yeah. And you just need to hand it over. Yeah. And. This, this hesitation thing is like, well, why did, why did you put things in the file that would hurt the client to begin with? Did you put things in the file that would hurt the client or are you just trying to save your save own ass? Your own ass yeah. yeah. Because you know that you take terrible notes because you have a general problem with professionalism. Um, so, uh, yeah. That and I find thing. it like 95% of the time a therapist will hesitate when they're asked, for, when the client asks for their file. Mm-hmm. There should be no hesitation. When you call your physician and ask for your client file, there shouldn't be a hesitation, right? Yeah. When you go to a new dentist and you need your old dentist to send your patient file, there shouldn't be a hesitation. 
There shouldn't be like, well, there's some stuff in that file that the patient shouldn't see. What? This is your treatment. Yeah. It's your file. You know, it's not the client. It's not the therapist's file. It's it's the client. It's the patient's file. Well, both people. Anyway, point is, is that I get that. I hear that. It's silly. The other thing is, is like, again, as you said earlier, you don't wait until months, years into this process and say, oh, now I figured out that you're beyond my skill set. Mm. When it was clear from the beginning that the presentation was clear and that you can't down the road, uh, make a bunch of mistakes with a preoccupied person and then suddenly say it's beyond your skill set. Well, what's the message? You're too fucked up. Yeah. That's a shitty message. Yeah. Now, I don't, that's not necessarily an ethical violation. That's yeah, a shitty Because shit. actually you as Carrie are the one who are terminating. It's, it's not the therapist, but um, anyway. So she goes on with her email here. I think it's an aggressive sentence. You're beyond my skill set is aggressive. Mm. Yeah. Hostile and somewhat. Awesome. Um, she goes on with her email here, Carrie. I would think about her often and had dreams where she would reject me. Mm. About six months later, my new therapist reached out to her to try to collaborate and help me find closure. But my old therapist became defensive rather than helpful. My therapist denied saying those things and said I was welcome to come back and that her door was always open to me. Mm. That was totally confusing, and my new therapist called it gaslighting. No. <laughs> this made me even more confused. So I find this whole, so just kind of racing through the last bit of this email, I find this whole situation to be a little odd. If I had a client come to me, a preoccupied client, and they were saying that, and if you want to know more about preoccupied attachment, listen to my 17-hour deep dive that I published a couple of weeks ago. Um, the uh, I, I, if, a, if a client came to me and said, I'm really struggling with my relationship with my previous therapist. And I think about her all the time and I feel like we don't have closure. And, you know, could you reach out to that therapist and maybe try to set up a, a session? Cause that this is Carrie has asked for this a number of times has asked for her therapist to set up these things. And, oh. and if I was asked to do that, I would I would not do it unless yeah. it was really like necessary or something. One because that's not my job to like broker a deal between my client and a previous therapist. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so you know if the now if the client wants to reach out to the therapist and and invite them into a session or something like I, I wouldn't be opposed to that for sure, but. I'm not personally going to reach out to someone and, you know, for my client. It would be the same as if my client said, um, can you reach out to my ex-husband and, and ha you know, yeah. and set up a set. Like, right. as a family therapist, sometimes people would ask me to do that. They'd be like, so my ex-husband is a jerk and I need you to reach out to him and invite him into family therapy because we need to talk about how do we need to work together to parent our kids as a divorced couple. And I would say, well, if you want to reach out to him and have him contact me, I'd be happy to include him. But I'm not personally going to call him out of the blue. Yeah. Because um, that would be strange, you know. It, it so, is strange. Yeah. To have someone just randomly call you and invite you into therapy, the clinician, you know? Yeah. Um, now, this is the opposite of what I was saying earlier, as you might notice. Like, before I was saying you don't do the, you don't ask your clients to do your dirty work. But well, this is not my dirty this work. This isn't yours. Yeah. This is the client's agenda. The client wants the, the ex-husband to come. Right. Uh, 
I'm open to it. I don't have an, that's not on my agenda. So um, now many family therapists will actually reach out to that ex and that's fine. But anyway, the point is, is I I wouldn't reach out to the therapist. I would say I'm open to having a conversation with, with the three of us, but um, that ain't family therapy, but I, well, it's relational therapy. It's relational therapy. Yeah. No, well, the thing is, is like your ex-therapist, that ain't really family therapy. Right. Yeah. So uh, so there's that. I would also predict that it wouldn't go well. No, probably <laughs> you know? not. As a therapist myself, I'd be like, well, okay, what's going to happen here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to this former therapist. The former therapist is going to be like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you, sh- you should be helping your client uh, not trying to like reach out to like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I would, if I got a call like that from another therapist, I'd be like, um, shouldn't you just be treating your client yeah. on this? Um, if the client wants to reach out to me, great. It's you know, business. and that's essentially what, you know, the, the therapist did was just like, um, uh, you know, if the, if the client wants to reach out to me, I'm welcome to talk to them. Um, so, so that's, but you know, it's not, it's not an unethical choice. It's not a, it's just a personal preference of mine. Yeah. Um, but the other thing here, Carrie, is that I think what you're looking for is a way to feel good about, or to feel not bad about what happened with your previous therapist. Mm. You're, th- you're thinking a lot about her. You miss her. You really liked her therapy. You really liked the relationship you had with her. You're really hurt by her and you're thinking about it all the time. And that's, that's the curse of being preoccupied. And that sucks. That's horrible. That feeling is horrible. That nagging in your head feeling that you can't control of how did this happen? Did she really care about me? Mm. What does she think about me sometimes? How can I get back with her? Because I really felt, you know, when I got to that muddy puddle in that, you know, in that desert, it felt good. Mm. And my current therapist doesn't really feel the same because she kind of talks about that. Yeah. And, and then you're also, as you write in your email, I'm very angry at her. Sure. At the same time. And there's all these feelings and it's the same exact feeling we have with parents who hurt us or spouses who hurt us. You go through a real difficult divorce. You're going to think about it. What you're going through right now, Carrie, is grief. Grief. It's inhibited grief. It is just good old fashioned grief and there's nothing good about it. It is bad old fashioned grief. Yeah. It feels bad. It, it runs to your head. It, it occupies your brain a lot. It brings you down. It makes you feel sad. And, and I feel for you on that. We've all been there. We've all had that grief and you know, it's awful. There's, there's no silver lining to it really. I mean, there can be sometimes, but, but not when you're in the depths of the storm, there's no purpose in saying, let's look for the silver lining. It's just, it's bad. And you're looking for a way to resolve it to as closure, as you put it, Carrie, that, that's not going to happen no by closure. talking to your previous therapist. Mm-hmm. Cause even if your previous therapist, you know, managed to say what you're wanting her to say, like, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. You're right. I'm a bad therapist. Whatever it is. I don't know, Carrie, what you're actually looking for, but it's not, that, I'm telling you, it's, it's, 
it's not going to end the suffering. You're still going to feel unease about the whole thing. Um, what I assume you're doing is you're talking with your current therapist about what happened. You're processing all those feelings and you're grieving about it. And that's, that's the path. You might be grieving about this relationship for a long time. You might be grieving this loss for a long time. And that's, that's just normal. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to miss someone. And it's, um, and I know a lot of the other listeners can relate to you, Carrie. I, that's something I probably should have said from the beginning is one of the reasons why I'm going over this email is because a good percentage of our listenership actually knows exactly what you're going through. They have had, I get emails about this maybe every day. I used to actually have this form letter that I would respond to people because I found myself responding with very similar Same. language, you yeah. know. Um, and it was the only form letter I would actually use. And then eventually I threw it away because it was, it didn't really always apply to every email I got. But essentially the email what, that I would respond is you, because of your relational traumas, you have a great need and deserve secure attachments with people. And you have historically not been given that you found that with your current therapist or your previous therapist. And of course you ate it up because it felt good and you needed that. And it was fundamental to you. It's like water and food and sustenance. It is, it is not a cognitive want. Like I think I, you know, I think I like sunsets or something. This is something that you need on a minute by minute basis to survive emotionally. And when there was a disruption there, it really, really hurt. And you are thinking about it a lot. And that is just how things are. And I'm sorry for that situation, you know, and, and I'm with you on it. You know, I've, I've been there before myself, of course, we all have to some extent. And so trying to look for an answer to that, uh, sometimes we'll just prolong the suffering. Yeah, totally. It, it, it's like your dad dies and you're really sad about it. And you're, tr you're trying to, I don't know, find a picture of him that you can't, you f seem to find in the attic or something. And you're so distressed that you, I can't find that picture. And it's like, what you need to do is just stop and just say, I miss my dad. Yeah. And, I'm sad and he's really gone and there's no turning back <laughs> and I don't know what to do. I'm confused and I just need yeah. someone to hold me and care about me and listen to me and be with me in this despair because that's what's happening. Um, so yeah. Any thoughts on that, Bob? Yeah. I guess the thing that keeps rattling through my head is if uh, I wanted to invite Carrie to just, Ask yourself, if I were accepting that this relationship with this previous therapist is over, what would I be doing now? If I were really accepting it down on my bones, how would I be acting? What would I be doing with my time? Because I, I, I think the same thing. I think it's just grief, and it's inhibited by longing and uh, wish, you know, for something that isn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, humans want to avoid sadness. I get it. It just doesn't work. Right. So, Carrie, you deserve and you need secure attachments. That's the answer. That's what I would focus on. Even if you came to me in the midst of this whole conversation with your previous therapist, I would have said the same thing. The primary thing that is going to help you is if you focus on 
making sure that you have secure attachments in your life and that you really internalize them and you really take them to heart. Because just as an example, with your current therapist, let's say things get deeper Mm. and you become attached and this therapist actually has a better frame to therapy and is more... Uh, is is less likely to trigger you and less likely to have the kind of situations you had with your previous therapist. Let's say you do that for three or four years. At the end of that time, your soul, your psyche, your subconscious is going to feel just generally better about yourself and generally better about other people and more trust and more trusting of other people. And as you do that, without any actual contact with your previous therapist, in all likelihood, you will think less about your previous therapist. You will be less upset at your previous therapist. You will miss your previous therapist less because you will have healed to some extent from those relational traumas that you went through. So that's what I would focus on. I would, I would not be focusing on quote unquote closure and that sort of thing. Having said all that, if you want to file a formal complaint, because oh, yeah. you already have, you've, you've, you've sent that to the agency that your therapist worked at. Um, that's great. I commend you for doing that, actually. It's, it's great to send your thoughts. Uh, you're standing up for yourself. That's great. If you want to send a complaint to the uh, state licensing board or the therapist's professional organization or whatever, you want to get a lawyer or whatever, you know, that's all within your right to do as well. But, you know, take into account a lot of the things that we're saying and that some of the things that she did can absolutely be justified in all likelihood. Um, and some of them might not be able to be justified. I don't know. Um, might consider what's the goal of, right. of taking it further and what's the cost. Because yeah. it's likely to keep me stuck in the wish Exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying that a person shouldn't, and it is absolutely, you know, it's cool. And think about yourself. Right. Because if you did do that, in all likelihood, the uh, details and the triggering will be happening over the next few few years. Right. And it won't probably feel emotionally satisfying in the end. Because in all likelihood, given my experience with these this sort of category of, of complaint, what, what will happen at the, at the most is that the therapist will be uh, reprimanded, you know, you know, by, for some, one of the ethical violations, one of the confidentiality violations. So just verbally or in written form reprimanded, which no one will ever see. Mm-hmm. And then also told to go to some continuing education and then maybe like forced to, engage in supervision again, yeah. which it sounds like she are, she, she does have a supervisor. So it would just be extending that supervision, I guess. Um, and that would be it. Yeah. So th- now that might be what she needs. It probably wouldn't be a bad idea for her, uh, to do voluntarily. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's learned that. I don't know. Um, but know that that would be like three years of stress and hearings and reports. And honestly, you feeling, um, invalidated a lot because there's going to be pushback yeah. from the board, from the opposing side. Right. They're going to write. They're going to write letters. They might even have to reveal things about you that you don't want on the public record. Uh, not public record, but part of the considerations by the board. It can be a very difficult situation for yeah. a client. 
as you said, Bob, go for it. You have that right. And every client who wants to do that should, but just understand that there's a whole kind of process there. And, um, you know, make sure that you're making yourself what decide wisely. Yeah. Uh, so let us know how things are going, Carrie, and let us know what you think about this episode, because, you know, I thought we went into a lot of different things. I'm guessing we made some assumptions that were incorrect or maybe some other things, but, um, you know, let me know how you feel about it. Cause I care about you, even though I don't know you beyond, um, these communications. And I, you know, really hope you the best. So that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.